it was about, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, I've shared other details of this story, but we went to, a group of us went to Sierra Leone, Africa um, on a mission, and oh, yeah, there was so much to deal with when we, when we came to this, but when we, when we landed finally in Sierra Leone, we had to jump into a, a taxi, which was, if you can just envision this, I should have put a picture up, but uh, a 1984-ish Mercedes-Benz turbo diesel um, hatchback, not hatchback, but wagon. Okay, you kind of picture one of those old style Mercedes-Benz. And it hadn't been, I don't think, washed since 1984 either. It was, it was uh, quite the experience. I remember getting in and, and as we're driving through towards the ferry, which was going to troll us across to Freetown, which is the town, that, the, the capital of Sierra Leone. Um, I just remember the, the wafting fumes of diesel. It was, uh, it was interesting and nauseating all at the same time. And we finally get to the boat, and right before we get on the boat, the, one of the more veteran guys of our group that had been to Sierra Leone, he said, okay, so no matter what you do, when the ferry, when it lands in, in Freetown, don't make eye contact with anybody. And, uh, and he just said this real quick as we're loading onto the ferry. He didn't think much more about it. We, we trolleyed across the bay, and as we're coming into Freetown, I mean, it was, it was such an experience. I mean, I, one real great benefit you come away with when you do a missions trip is experiencing a different culture. And at the time, Sierra Leone was the poorest country in the world. And so one of the things that we were experiencing was just utter poverty. And um, again, there's so many experiences I won't talk about it. But, but for the point of this, this particular story and illustration, as we got off, as we got off, the boat landed uh, kind of just... There's no dock. It just kind of like this big ferry just kind of hits the, the bank. And uh, we kind of jump off. And one of the guys that I was with, uh, he didn't listen to our leader's instructions. And he sees a, a poor child that is sitting on the, on the corner. And so he can't help but to be drawn with compassion. And he goes over to this child and, and leans down to engage with, with the child. And and I mean immediately. It was just like absolute immediately. Everyone from everywhere just immediately flocked to him and, and just wrapped around, well, all of us because it was pretty close proximity. And we had people um, pulling at us. It turned into like this chaotic moment where, where people want our attention. They want, we're, because we're white, we're rich Americans, we have lots of money, and we actually had, we actually had millions of De, uh, Leones, which is Sierra Leone money, which is like $13 in, in America. But we had millions of Leones in our backpacks. People are pulling on us. And finally, like our bodyguard comes and grabs us like we were little kids and throws us in the back of a taxi. And then we're like literally almost running people over as we're trying to get out of, out of Freetown, out of the main city because of just the danger and the crime. And, and so, yeah, that was fun. That was a great way to start the, the, the week. And uh, I, I bring that up, uh, and I, like I said, there's so many illustrations, but I bring that up for the purpose to say that sometimes when, when you, you serve people, when you dedicate yourself to helping people out, giving yourself, now that's an extreme example, but I'm just thinking there's everyday examples where we serve one another as well. There's times when we go to serve people and we just need to take a break. We need to get away because oftentimes people can be very demanding. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but there can be people in life that are very demanding and they require us to be able to get a break, to get away. And so today that's what we're seeing in our passage here in Mark, the need to get away specifically for Jesus. And so our key word is solitude. It's the, the, the word that we're talking about today. So if we look at the context of our passage in Mark, Mark chapter 1, 
We see Jesus doing a bunch of stuff, but primarily, summation-wise, he's glorifying God, and he's serving people. And he does this in a bunch of different ways. Last week, he was in the synagogue. We saw the synagogue here. How did I already lose the controller for, oh, it's down here. Uh, Here's the synagogue, um, and uh, the actual location where last week took place. He's in the synagogue at this point in time. He's preaching the first recorded message that we see in Mark. And the people are just amazed by what he has to say because he's one that speaks with authority. It's one that they want to listen to, want to follow. And then he later casts out a demon that is in one of the attenders there. And so he has this intense time of ministry. It's a pretty intense period of time. And then he does what what you and I would do this afternoon, most likely. After church, we, we fellowship a little bit, and then we take off. And let's read what, what happens. He says, and immediately after, that's after church, after synagogue, they came out of the synagogue. They came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. You know, um, oftentimes it's not about what you know, but who you know. And so here you have the disciples. They're hanging out after church, and they go over to Peter's house. Now, this is a picture of what you just saw there. That is right here. So that's the synagogue. And this is Peter's house. It looks like a spaceship right there. It's actually not that. Um, That is a, a shrine and a temple that they've built over what they believe is Peter's actual house where this particular story had taken place. And, and so what you can see here is that they're coming to Jesus. Now, again, this is an intense time. It's right after church service. And they're like, well, come into our house. And hey, by the way, my mom's sick. My mother-in-law is sick. Can you do something about that? So we see here when, oh, and so what he does is he does that. He, he heals her. Uh, they didn't have in those days, you know, Advil or Tylenol or WebMD or Obamacare or anything like that. They, they had instead um, to hopefully get over their sickness. And so, and so in this particular case, a fever is really, it's life or death. And the fact that they say that she was lying down is an indicator that she was very sick. Because in those days, you know, when we get sick around here, like, I, anybody else have this cold that's going around? This is like three and a half weeks I don't know how so much stuff can continue to come out of my body, you know, my, my, this. It's crazy. Well, in our day, it's not a big deal. In those days, it was a matter of life and death. And here Jesus comes along and he heals her on the spot in a miraculous way to the point where, if the way the text says, as soon as he raises her up and heals her, she then begins her duties of, of taking care of the house and of serving them and waiting on them just immediately. Another sermon in itself, but pretty, pretty exciting time. So, That's what happens. But then this is where we come in verse 32 to 34. Right after Jesus says that private miracle with his disciples, we get this. It says, when evening came, after the sun is set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. You get that? The whole city. The whole city had gathered at the door of Peter's house. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. So I guess the, the point of bringing this up is I want to get a picture of what Jesus' day and night was like. He leaves church. He goes to some friend's house, some new friends, his disciples. And as he does this... Uh, 
he has to heal privately. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then shortly after that, when the sun goes down, this is because it was the Sabbath day and you couldn't do healings or couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. So after the sun went down and Sabbath was over, then, then people would come. And, and the, the point here is that Jesus was in a place where he was very intensely being called upon by people. He was always invested in serving other people. And so as we, as we come to this passage, and really my point is this. My point is this. If you're invested in the kingdom of God, and last week our primary message was, is Jesus the authority in your life? Or are you the authority in your life? Well, if he is the authority in your life, then this, is, this first point here is your mission and your call and my mission and my call. It's to invest in others. My life is no longer just about me. It's about investing in other people's lives. And there are so many different ways that we can do that. And, uh, and this is way, in Jesus' way, it was to serve them and to heal them. But if, if you're not invested in serving others, then the message today, you probably can pull out some, some principles that would be helpful for you as it relates to solitude. But really the purpose of this passage and the purpose of our text in looking at solitude in this case is, is the need for solitude because you've invested yourself in other people's lives. And, and so I just want to encourage you to, to think about what your purpose and your call is in other people's lives. So now right after, right after we're going to come to kind of the key verse, which is verse 35 in, in just a minute. But in verses 40 and 45, again, Jesus is, Jesus is called upon to heal a leper. And that was obviously a pretty major sickness in those days especially. And it got to the point where Jesus, in verse 45, it says that Jesus could no longer do ministry publicly in a city, but instead he stayed on the unpopular, unpopular areas outside of town. And people were still coming to him from everywhere. He was so invested in other people that he was getting chased all over the countryside. So where does that leave us? It leaves us with, the heart of the sermon today, and that's that when, when you invest yourself in other people, and I know for seasons of life, sometimes those other people are just our kids or maybe our spouse or it could be jobs or whatever we're investing ourselves in, um, what, do you, what do you do with that? How do you deal with that? How did Jesus specifically deal with that exhaustion? This is how he dealt with it. He dealt with it by seeking renewal through solitude. That is how he dealt with the exhaustion that comes through living a life that, really a life that has value, not a self-centered, self-seeking life. Um, he sought it through renewal, through solitude. Look at, look at verse 35. Oh, let's first define solitude before I go into verse 35. Solitude, as it relates to today, solitude, the, the discipline of occasionally withdrawing in order to be alone with God. So the discipline of occasionally withdrawing in order to be alone with God. Solitude is not about being a monk. Solitude is not about just unchecking and going on vacation. Um, it isn't about being alone. It's specifically about dedicating yourself to be alone with, with God. So solitude is about disciplining yourself to uncheck from life, to get away and to be alone with the Lord. Now, in this case... Jesus left the church, he went to Peter's house, he healed Peter's mom, then after sunset, he spent, we don't know exactly how long, but probably late into the early morning hours, healing many of the sick, um, many of the demon-possessed. I think it's really interesting that it says that 
the people brought all. It says everybody came, and they brought all the sick, all the demon-possessed. But then our verse goes on to say that Jesus healed many of them. He didn't heal all of them. And when you read that, it's easy to read by that, but you think, huh, why wouldn't Jesus heal all of them? Well, there might be a lot of answers to that. I think one of the answers to that is because, in some senses, they're never going to end. We hear that in other places in the Gospels, that there always will be those that are sick and ill and poor among you. That might be part of it. But the other part of it is, he hit his limitation. That's a hard thing to think about when you think about Jesus. We'll get to that in just a minute. But look at verse 35. How does he deal with that? Um, Instead of staying and healing every single person and casting out every demon, it says, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and he went away to a secluded place and there, and there he was, there he was praying. So it's pretty intense and he gets out of the house. He gets away. I don't know if you've had that experience. I know parents of young children are like that. I just gotta, I gotta go, I gotta get out for a little bit and know what that experience is like. There is a, um, a real fun, I think fun, but I'm a nerd, a fun theological term called the hypostatic union. And what that means is where you have a phenomenon, and in this case, you have fully, the full nature of God in human form. That was Jesus, the hypostatic union. And, and I want you to think about this for just a minute. Think about Jesus and the struggle that it must have been for him. Because Jesus was fully God. I mean, fully. He had, he had God's thoughts. He had God's motivations. He had God's purposes, God's kingdom in mind, God's goals in mind. He even had the picture of what was going to happen in mind. How frustrating it might have been for Jesus because he was stuck in a human body. He, he didn't have the physical ability to do what his heart and his spirit wanted to do. And you can see it here in this particular place. I know we all experience this. Experienced this on Wednesday night in this very room. Um, when we had the Iwana kids that were here, and they, they uh, goaded me into playing uh, dodgeball. And I found after just a couple minutes, my throwing arm and my cardiovascular system could not keep up with what my, my um, spirit intended to do with these little whippersnappers. Silas was one of them. Uh, Silas, Caden, Hunter Adams got me out twice. Uh, my spirit couldn't quite keep up, but I know that for all of us, we have that experience, especially as we age, where we aren't able to physically do the things that we would like to do. But think about Christ, how frustrating that must have been for him. So how did he deal with it? How did he deal with this? Because he had limited energy. He didn't have limited vision, but he had limited strength. He didn't have limited goals, but he had the limited ability to carry out those goals because he was in human form. He, he experiences the things that we experience. So he found that he had to withdraw. He had to get away to a place of solitude. And in this case, in this passage, he prays. So the Bible gives us a lot of different ways to deal with, um, to deal with the issue, issue of exhaustion. But one of the primary patterns that we see in Scripture is what's called the Sabbath. It is that you have a six-day work week where, in this context, you glorify God. You serve other people. You love other people. Uh, you do your job. You take care of your family. You take care of your responsibilities. And then you have, on the seventh day, is the day of rest. In their case, it was, it was the Sabbath. Jesus was in the habit of going to church every week. And he went to church. He had a Sabbath. But there was times in life where 
he also had extreme need to just get away, to just uncheck from things outside of the normal Sabbath. That was another thing that I really enjoy about Jesus, is that, is that you look at this, and the Sabbath was something that was, was, was held with great strong legalism in that day by the religious people. And, and Jesus, um, kind of oftentimes the fights that we hear him having with the, the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious people was because Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath or he was walking through a field and plucking grain and having a snack on the Sabbath and, and the religious people would bust his chops for that. And he would call out their hypocrisy um, because they had forgotten what the purpose of the Sabbath is, what, what the goal of the Sabbath was, and they just made it into a whole bunch of rules for themselves. But the Sabbath, the Sabbath is a, is a really valuable pattern, and, and it is something that we should follow as, as families and as individuals. For many of you, maybe today is your Sabbath. For my family, it's not. This is not a Sabbath day for, for me personally, uh, because it's well, this is, a, this is a busy day. It's exhausting. To, it's great and fun, um, but it's an exhausting process to, to, to deliver message and to, to be in this particular role. And, and yet, for some of you, you have your weeks that are just totally tapped out, stressed out, and you need your Sabbath. And hopefully, when you're able to come here, you're able to just be present. You're able to be present with God's people, to sit under the authority of God's word, to worship together, to sing together, to encourage one another. The Sabbath is, is, very, is very powerful and very purposeful in the, life of, in the life of a believer. Now, when it comes down to Sabbath, some of you are really good at this. Like it's, nat- it's a natural tendency. You can do a Sabbath pretty easily. Um, it's because maybe you're, you're more of a, a kind of a contemplative person. And um, it, it comes a little bit easier to you. And others, it may not. Um, come so easily to you um, because you're busy and there's lots of things that, that are going on. Um, the problem with busyness in our life is when we are so busy, when we push the limits of our capabilities as a human, <laughs> the physical capabilities, we end up becoming very shallow people and we starve our souls. When, when we're moving all the time, when we're going from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, when, when Sabbath, when solitude isn't in our rhythm, isn't in our life, then we get to a place where it becomes, um, it becomes very depleting to our, our physical bodies. And that's difficult. That's difficult for us. Um, so there's these seasons in life that are so demanding that it requires that we seek renewal, that we get away and we uncheck just like Jesus did. Now, confession time for me personally, um, I have historically been terrible at this. I had my burnout in ministry the first go-around primarily because I did not honor God with my physical body, and I pushed myself to a place where doing good things, that was the key. I was doing lots of good things, mostly good things, and it wore me out, and a fear for me when I came here and took God's call to come to this church. You know, we were in a position in life where um, I had great solitude in my commute to work to and from every day, driving up the Columbia River Gorge. It was beautiful. It was a great time with God to see the sunset coming up the gorge. Oh, man, how great is that every single morning? Um, quiet time in the car. It was just, it was great. Uh, when I got home, my phone wasn't ringing. Um, I wasn't on. I was just home. And I know that, that life and ministry specifically, there's not those borders on your day. And I'd already failed at this once in my life in a pretty major way, and I was fearful that that wouldn't happen again. But one of the 
things that became very clear, and one of the lessons that I learned was that I had to not only take a Sabbath, but I had to make solitude an imperative part of my life. And I'll explain why that's so imperative as we, as we continue on. But one of the really cool things is when we think about stopping everything in life and just setting aside time to be alone with God and do nothing, um, our, our mind would tell us that, you know what, that sounds like that's, there's not, that's lazy. There's nothing, it's unproductive time. I, I got to do something. I got to be somewhere. I got to be, be on or, or I've got to be sending a, a text or something along those lines. But there is something precious that comes when we, when we close the book, close the, the laptop, turn the, turn the TV off, turn off the device, turn the phone off, and we just say, Lord, I'm just going to be with you. I just want to, be, I need to be with you. Here, I, my life is busy, I'm doing good stuff, or maybe I'm not. Maybe I need a time of just confession that I live my life apart from you. I just need to be with you. And, and trust me, when you do that, that's the time in life where God speaks. Because there is, there is a time where God, God does not speak to us in times of busyness like he does in times of solitude. He can't, because we're not listening when we're going through life, when we're busy. Uh, no, he could but he chooses not to. He chooses to allow us to posture ourselves, to put ourselves in a place where we are willing to listen to what he would have to say. And that looks different for all of us. But be, but be warned here. Be warned with this, that to push ourselves beyond our physical limits, beyond our physical capabilities, beyond our natural capacities, tends to help develop unhealthy dependencies on stuff in our lives specifically dependencies on stimulants of many different kinds monster red bull um, quadruple shot triple latte grande with macchiato whipping cream and whatever else goes in there uh, whatever else is in there uh, it, there's this tendency where you know with us throughout the course of a day what does it take if we can't make it through the course of our day without the fix Maybe there's a greater problem than just getting that stimulant into our, into our heart or into our life. I see this more and more in a pastoral sense, where, especially with middle-aged men, where I see this, um, we are so busy and we, we are unwilling to slow down in a healthy way that we, we develop these, I would just call them escape addictions, where we escape from reality because it's the only way we can handle not being productive. These escape addictions, they can be anything from porn, an affair, spending money, endless brainless internet usage, hypercriticism, conspiracy thoughts, and in my case, it was alcohol. Um, and it's primarily, primarily because we don't instill this very thing in our lives. A heart of solitude where we step outside of the busyness of life and we just say, God, would you speak to me? God, I need you. I'm, I'm doing all these things. And my, my life is busy. A lot of the stuff I'm doing is good, but I'm not doing it with you leading me. And I'm not listening to you. So um, they developed this, a sense of escape. Now, I'm just hoping that the goal here, I think, this is kind of a, I don't know what the, the technical term, but it would be a, um, an exhortative, encouraging kind of sermon where we'll be motivated to instill solitude into the rhythms of our, our lives, specifically and practically in the, the week that we would live out. I'm hoping that'll be the case. But if you are going to, to take that step, which I hope all of you will, and myself included, you need to know a couple things. These aren't in your notes. But, but one is that um, if you're going to do this, you need to understand people around you just won't get it. 
They won't get it. They will think that um, you're a little bit, maybe a little bit crazy. They may try to guilt you into doing things their way. Uh, they may make you think like you're being irresponsible. Um, they may even be offended by the fact that you aren't as available to them 100% of the time as you should be in their minds. So that's one thing. The second thing, and this is, I think, a bigger thing, um, especially, I would say this is especially a bigger thing for women. I'm not a woman, but but I think it is. I don't know why I think this, but um, I, and it's, I feel selfish. I feel selfish to take time for myself. And maybe this is because um, the, the women in my life are so, so productive and they, they're such a strong sense of, sense, of, sense of responsibility and they've got a crazy husband to take care of and things like that, just hypothetically speaking. Uh, so uh, I feel selfish. The idea of, of taking time out just away and spending time with God, um, I, feel, I feel a little bit guilty. It feels selfish to me. And, and I just want to say there is absolutely nothing selfish about taking time away and and being alone with God. There's nothing selfish about it. And as a matter of fact, I will be as fluffy to say that when you do this, if you make this a discipline, you will become a better, a better spouse, a better coworker, a better friend, a better Awana leader, a better youth group leader, a better student, a better everything. Because you will be a blessing to people because you will be operating at a sense of fullness, operating at a sense of peace, operating at a sense of joy rather than a sense of stress. And so there isn't anything less selfish that you can do other than taking, and I'm not talking about taking time out so that you can sit in a corner and do some Eastern meditation. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about taking time out, taking time aside so that you can listen to God, not listen to the spirits out there, specifically listen to God. We're going to talk in a few minutes about some different ways to do that. But there's nothing selfish about taking, taking time alone with God and making that one of the highest priorities of, of your life. Now, so as I alluded to earlier, there are some concepts of solitude um, and some of you, that this idea just kind of comes a little more naturally. Like, I'm an introvert. I like being alone. Like, I do better being alone. I get more recharged emotionally by being alone than I do being with a bunch of people. It's kind of an uh, unfortunate aspect of my job, but, but that's just my natural tendency. Um, I, 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 I get charged up. So working solitude into, into my day or into my week or into my month is, is not a scary a scary thing for me. Um, it's difficult because um, there's a difference between being alone and being alone with God, and we've already talked about that. But there's those types. But then there's some of you that are that are activists. That you are doers. Like you move. You don't slow down and you just go. You've got a mission and a purpose, and you just go for it. That's kind of that's kind of the way that you operate. And the idea of slowing down. It doesn't just seem like it's a good idea that's hard to do. It almost feels like it's a waste of time. And I just want to say this. Who, who is more of an activist than Jesus? Who is more serving of people? Who is more in conversation with people? Who more often was healing people, with people? Who had the mind of God inside of him? And yet he, as we see here, 
he saw it as a need to, to step away, a step to get away, to have solitude in his life. I think the point's pretty clear. If, if it was that important for him, and he is the supreme of all activists, all doers, and he thought it necessary to break away and spend time alone with his father, then we better take that pretty seriously in our own lives and have to question ourselves, well, what are we doing going through life without, without taking any time to just reflect on the Lord, be with him, be alone with him. This can take on a whole, all, all kinds of different forms. That's the great thing about solitude. It looks different for every single one of us. It may be five minutes, it may be 30 minutes, it may be um, a, a day, it may be even a weekend. Um, it can be all these different things, but the key, the key is that it's focused on God. It's time to break away and stay focused on, on Him. Not focused just on to be alone and, and, and sleep, necessarily. So, how do you do this? What's, what's this look like? What's the goal of this? So, I've got um, just a few things. We're just going to f- kind of fly through these pretty quickly. Um, the first one is what we see here in this passage. It's prayer. Uh, when you break away to have alone time with God, to, to be invested in prayer. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house, and he went away to a secluded place to pray, to be with the Father. This may seem like an obvious one, but I don't know. I mean, a lot of times I'll struggle. I'll go, go to dedicate time to prayer, and I pray for a few minutes, and I'm, I'm just like, I don't know, my, my manly brain has a hard time thinking, okay, I prayed everything I know how to pray. And what do I do now? And, uh, and so I have to remind myself, well, there's lots of different things and techniques. You can, you can uh, go through the church prayer list that comes through email, or you can go through the Lord's Prayer, which is an awesome template for prayer, to have the Lord's Prayer. Um, a lot of people journal. I'm not a good journaler, but a lot of people like to journal, and that's a good way to, to spend time in prayer. For me, I have a hard time. I'm like total ADD. I can't sit still, ever. It's sleep is difficult. I don't like to sit still. And so I like to move when I do stuff. So sometimes it's a drive. Um, sometimes it's a walk. Um, it may be any of those things for you just to get moving. The second thing here um, is silence. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. Psalm 62, 1. Now, we know this, right? Prayer is a, is a two-part piece. There's the talking part, and then there's the, the listening part. And we see that throughout the, bar, the Bible. And again, it's kind of hard to, to listen without my, without my mind watering, but, or wandering, but I can tell you that God does speak when we are allowed ourselves to be silent in his presence. He speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. He speaks to us through this next one, too, which is Bible reading. Sanctify them in truth, for your word it is truth. For your word is truth. Great way to spend time in solitude is with your Bible open in front of you and allow the, the pages of Scripture to wash over your heart. Great, great way to go through this, a, a time of solitude, which leads into this one, meditation. Meditation. Again, I said it earlier, but there's a lot of different ways to, to meditate, a lot of different theories, but biblical medica- med- medication, B- biblical, see, it's all that gunk that's starting to work out of my, my, my head. Um, the, the biblical meditation, real meditation, is where you take uh, the truth of the Word of God, a scripture or a passage, and maybe really quickly you, you memorize it. Maybe it's just a line of a passage, and you memorize it, and then you, you go and you close the door, you sit down or you lay down, 
and you just let that roll over in your heart, roll over in your mind, and let it renew the way you think. And, and what I find really interesting is, for me, when I do that, especially with prepping for things, uh, you know, my, my head's been in, in the Word and been in commentaries, and and oftentimes when I take time to, to meditate on the passage that I'm teaching or preaching on, I find that what the God has for me to hear isn't in any literature that I read. And sometimes it just comes out of nowhere. And when that happens, I know it's probably for me and it's probably for you. And I need to pay pretty close attention to it. But that doesn't happen if, if I'm not slowing down and taking time to meditate on Scripture and allow the Spirit to speak. This is a big one for a lot of people. Singing. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. It's great. I, I, I went, um, I was coming up Highway 503 and I saw this rig that was pulled over off the side of the road and uh, a hand was out the window. And so I, I looped around, I looped around and um, drove up and said, hey, everything okay? And I could tell I distracted him. Um, and he just said, dude, I just was hit with a moment of worship and I had to pull over. Um, and, and so here he is on the side of the road worshiping to a song um, having a, a brief moment of solitude, a brief moment of worship through song. It was, it was, uh, it was pretty, pretty awesome time. But I know for me, too, um, I go through my seasons of ups and downs, and especially in my melancholy times, I have a few go-tos, a few go-to songs where when the door is closed and I can pull my guitar out and I can sing, s- sing a song. My eyes begin to leak and I begin to hear the the voice of God in, in my heart and in my life. Song is, is, very, is very important. Just a couple more here. This is a huge one. Nature. Nature. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. The point of that passage is a little bit different, but the, the um, implications are very real. I went through and looked at the different times in the Bible, in the Gospels, where Jesus slipped away for solitude. There were 24 different times where it's recorded that he slipped away, like in verse 35. And almost all of them, it's tied in with, he slipped out and he walked along the Sea of Galilee. He slipped out, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Or he slipped out and he went into a garden. Uh, Almost every case... That, well, they didn't have shopping malls, so where else is he going to go? But the, the, the point is, the point is pretty clear. Um, being out in nature, and I know I experience this, there is nothing more worshipful oftentimes than being in nature and just seeing the beauty of God's creation and, and the way that that draws me in, um, in into a, an intimate place with the Father. And then the, the last one there is fasting. We saw that Jesus fasted when he was in the wilderness. We see lots of patterns of fasting within the pages of Scripture. And, and fasting is a powerful, powerful discipline that if tied with solitude can transform life. And I can say personally, um, I have not heard more clearly from God in times of solitude than when it's combined with times of fasting. There's something powerful, powerful about that because every time you feel that hunger pain, um, that desire for something, uh, it's a reminder that I'm hungry for the Lord. And I need him as my bread of life and my, my breath of life and him as the living water. So fasting is another great tool of satitude, of, of, of solitude. Um, so kind of in wrapping this up, I know this is a, a lot of information, uh, but there's three killers to solitude. There's three killers. 
Um, and, and so the first one, the first one I'll, I'll say here is those people. Those people. In, in Jesus' case, in Jesus' case, it was his disciples oftentimes. It was the people that didn't get the fact that he was trying to spend time alone. So in this particular case, he, he slips out of the house in, in the early morning, it says, and runs off to a place to pray. Um, and one other thing that was, kind of came to me in this study was, this, remember the hypostatic union thing? He's fully God, but in his humanity, he was terrible at, at hide-and-seek because every time he would get out, it seems like they would always find him. He would go away to pray, and you always hear him, people coming and finding him. So in this particular case, that's what happens. He gets out to pray, and those people, his disciples, wake up, and they're like, they're probably like, where's Jesus? He should be here. I mean, there's stuff to do. Well, let's go find him so he can get busy again. And so they sneak out, and in your text, you read it. He, they find him, and they grab him, and then they say, let's go. There's work to be done. And, and, and what does he do? He jumps right back in. And gets right back to it. So those people, and we all have those people in our life, those people that have agendas for us. Um, does anybody else have people in their lives that have agendas for them? Yeah, I think we all do, if we're, if we're really honest to admit that. Um, and if we're one that has an agenda for other people, we need to let go of our kung fu grip on their tassels. Secondly, not planning it, or not planning the time. Not planning the time, not planning it. If you don't plan it, it probably is not going to happen. It probably, most often when we need time away like that, there, and I'll just say this honestly, we've made too many of these escape addictions in our life that when we really feel stressed, we reach for a drink or we reach for something else to, to inhale or consume or to distract us rather than to turn to God in a time of aloneness. And so if we don't plan it, if it's not part of our calendar, it's probably not going to happen. It might, especially for those of you that are more contemplative. But for those of you who are doers, if you don't put it on your to-do list, which is a very spiritual thing to do, to put time alone with God on your to-do list is fine. And then when someone says, hey, um, I need something, and you say, no, I've got an appointment. You don't have to tell them. I mean, you don't have to tell them, no, I have to be with God instead. He's way more interesting than you. Um, that would hurt their feelings. But you just say, I have an appointment. Put it on the calendar. Stick to it. Um, if you don't do that, if you don't plan it, it's a killer to solitude. And then the third one um, is something that we deal with every day, and I feel a little bit hypocritical even saying this, but it's technology. I mean, here I am using technology. I think technology is really great. Um, it is a tool, a really great tool. I use it to help keep myself. I'm very much um, a type B person. I'm not a type A person, so I need technology to help me keep organized and on task, and I set alarms and, and things like that. But, but there's a huge downside to technology, a huge downside. And, and the downside of te technology in a spiritual sense is that technology is slowly or quickly, depending on how you look at it, killing, killing our alone time with God, killing it. We spend so much time on devices and in front of technology that it is killing our time alone with the Father, our time stepping away and slipping away. If we just spend a fraction of the time alone with God that we do in front of a device, what a difference that would make in our own hearts. Not, not just, let's not even talk about the church, let's just talk about our own lives. What a difference that would make. And I hear oftentimes, you know, it's really hard. It's hard to turn my phone off. I'm with you. It is so hard. It's, it's, it's a nightmare to turn my phone off. It's really difficult to turn my phone off. I feel like I'm, I'm failing by turning my phone off. But do you know what's harder? 
You know what's harder than turning our phone off? What's harder is what many of us are experiencing right now. That is a life without hearing God speak. A life without a conversation with the Lord. A life without intimacy with Him. That's harder than turning the phone off. A life that's led in such a way that has no real direction, that's blown around by the winds of change. A life that is full of stress rather than a life that's led in peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that only can come from time alone with God. If Jesus, if he had to get away, if he had to get away from the crowds, as the supreme of all activists, as the, the, the God in the flesh, to spend time with the Father, wow, we better follow that lead very, very closely. Because, because the next need is always coming, and that's the third, third and final point, because we have to re-engage with people. Jesus started out by glorifying God and serving others. We should follow that pattern, serving others to, glor- to glorify God. We glorify God by serving one another, John 21. But that becomes exhausting, so we need to discipline ourselves to withdraw and spend time alone with God because we're going to have to re-engage. There will be a time where we have to turn the phone on, we have to answer the door, we have to reply to the text, we have to reply to the email. That will come. In this case, specifically, it comes. It says this, They found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. This is when he failed at hide and seek. Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, All right then, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. We have to re-engage with people. You see, there's lots of people that spend lots of time alone, and maybe they say they spend lots of time alone with God, but if they never reconnect with people, they're just weird. Those people are just weird because that's not how God designed us. He didn't design us just to be alone with God alone with himself, he designed us to be alone with him so that we can have the experience of intimacy with him, be reminded of truth, be reminded of, of joy and grace and peace, and then go out and share the love of him to the people in our lives. Because as more and more of that happens, uh, then, then um, well, that creates more and more needs, which means there's more and more need to spend time alone with God, and it continues to go on from there. Psalm 46.10 We've got it up here in two translations. Be still and know that I am God. Cease striving. I like the NASB better. Cease striving and know that I am God. I want to encourage you just as a practical application this week. I would like to encourage you, challenge you. I won't command you. But exhort you to plan this week on spending time alone with God. 